This is a CBC podcast. Hi there, I'm David Cochran, and this is the Power and Politics podcast for Monday, October 9th. On the pod today, Israel declares war after Hamas launches its biggest attack on the country in decades. The surprise attacks on Saturday have left hundreds dead, thousands wounded, and there are reports dozens of hostages have been taken. And now Gaza is under siege. Israel's military is pounding Gaza with airstrikes, killing hundreds more and displacing thousands. The human toll is immense, the scenes devastating, the rest of the world in shock and on edge. What is Canada doing in response? Canada's Foreign Affairs Minister Melanie Jolie is here, and could this escalate into a wider regional war? We've got in-depth coverage of this event and the international fallout. We're going to begin with an update from the ground, but first a warning. The video footage we are about to play may be disturbing. In Gaza, mourners buried their dead after Israeli airstrikes hit targets in the Gaza Strip overnight. Men, women and children are among those killed. This comes two days after Hamas militants attacked Israel in the deadliest raid in decades. The group killed hundreds and abducted dozens. Attacks continued in Israel today from militants in Lebanon, in the north and from inside Gaza. Paul Hunter is part of the CBC team in Israel. He joins us from Jerusalem. So, Paul, what is the latest in this conflict? David, it was another day of relentless aerial bombardment in both directions uh, into uh, the Gaza Strip and out. Uh, Hundreds of Israeli airstrikes uh, uh, toward targets in Gaza uh, with, uh, again, relentless rocket fire uh, from Hamas uh, to the Israeli side. Uh, as a counterpunch. All of this as the expectation grows that there will be a, an Israeli uh, ground assault. Uh, consider the following. Consider 300,000 Israeli army reservists have been brought up. Consider the tanks that are massing outside the Gaza, uh, rather the Gaza Strip. Consider that Israelis have been told to prepare three or four days worth of food rations in the event they have to spend that time in shelters. Consider the humiliation felt by Benjamin Netanyahu over the uh, intelligence failure that led to this and the kind of language that he's been using uh, in the last couple of days, again, as the expectation grows of some sort of uh, ground assault. Uh, It has been a tense weekend and the tensions seem ratcheting only ever higher, especially now with the full blockade around the Gaza Strip, David. Tonight, they turned off the water, Uh, and in Gaza right now, there is no electricity, no fuel, uh, and no more food, and no more water coming. What there is, though, Paul, is hostages, and there may be more than 100 civilians and soldiers taken hostage, many of them taken inside Gaza. What do we know about the hostage situation? We know what we don't know. Uh, We don't know where they are. Uh, The presumption is that they're not all in the same place, that they're spread out in various locations throughout the Gaza Strip, making it much more complicated to uh, extricate them. We also know that the circumstance regarding their fate could well be about to get exponentially worse. Uh, There was a warning from Hamas today that if Israel maintains its airstrikes, uh, which have the effect of killing Palestinians, 
some 500 have been killed since this began. If that continues, says Hamas today, uh, and more Palestinians are killed uh, by that, they will begin to execute the hostages. They will videotape those executions, and they will publish those videotapes. As I say, it's about to get potentially um, exponentially worse. Uh, on, on the battlefront, Paul, there, there's also been escalating violence in the northern part of Israel along its border with Lebanon. What can you tell us about that situation? The fear from the get-go, uh, and you're uh, hinting at this in the opening, is that this could grow. Uh, specific to Israel, the fear was that it could grow from the southern region to the northern border. There was a hint that that may be beginning today. It began with two shells fired from the Lebanese side toward Israel. Uh, one didn't make it across the border, the other did. Then there was an explosion at the border fence uh, on the northern border with Israel. Uh, through the gap that was created came four uh, presumed uh, to be militants. Uh, one of them, uh, th there was uh, resistance from the Israeli side, one of them uh, made it back to the Lebanese side, three did not. Uh, since then, there are reports of Israeli artillery fire from the Israel side, obviously, into Lebanon. So relative to what's going on in the south, in and around uh, uh, the Gaza Strip, uh, it, it sounds like a minor skirmish, but that's how these things begin. And again, the fear all along was that this would spread to the north. Hezbollah is on the other side, uh, also backed by Iran, per Hamas in uh, Gaza. Uh, so the fear is that, uh, among all the other fears that we've been talking about, and we've uh, and the things that we've been seeing growing in the last couple of days, the fear now is that this could be growing uh, uh, along the Israeli-Lebanese border as well. Okay, Paul, thank you so much. That's the CBC's Paul Hunter joining us from Jerusalem. Well, a Canadian is among those killed in Saturday's attack on Israel. Alexandre Luc was among thousands Welcome. attending a music festival near the Gaza-Israel border when Hamas gunmen stormed the event. His family has confirmed to CBC News he was one of the victims. The 33-year-old man lived in Montreal. His mother was on a video call with him when she believes he was killed. A warning? This is difficult to hear. He said, we have to be sharp. And I could just see his neck looking left and right, left and right. And then I heard him tell his friends, they're coming back, there's a lot of them. And then all I heard is a lot of gunshot lots of rounds and then we heard nothing and then my husband tried to pick up my phone to hear if we could hear any sounds at all and he heard Arabic words saying Allah Akbar and I knew I said they're killing my son Rezwi Big so Global Affairs says it's looking into reports of other Canadians who may be missing. Melanie Jolie is the Minister of Foreign Affairs, and she joins me now. Minister, thanks for taking the time today. Thank you, David. Uh, we've heard there from the family of Alexandre Luc. Uh, what more can you tell yes. us about Canadians who may have been killed or injured or are missing in this conflict? Well, well first and foremost, let, let me uh, just comment and, and, and say that my heart is with the family and the loved ones. Um, of, uh, of of Canadian that has died, um, we have received reports of one Canadian that has died and also three that have gone missing. I cannot 
confirm any hostage taking. Why, David? Because it is important for the government not to confirm in this situation in order to not increase the value of any hostage and therefore putting their lives even more at risk. And of course, we condemn this multi-front terror attack by Hamas against Israeli people. Uh, we support Israel's right to defend itself according to international law and hostages must be released and, and, and of course, uh, civilians must be protected. So this is a terrible situation and my priority is to protect Canadians and also to work diplomatically to try to find a, a solution to de-escalate. There were claims this weekend, Minister, that Canadians in Israel couldn't get consular help because the embassy was closed for Thanksgiving. Was the Canadian embassy really non-operational during the initial hours of this conflict? No. So the Canadian embassy uh, is open, was open for Thanksgiving. Uh, our diplomats have been following local authorities' advice to sometimes shelter in place. And like the UK, France, Germany, and Sweden, there's been interruption of service because of this. But it was open today. I made sure it was open today. Um, and at the same time, at this point, what I can say is there's been 2,500 Canadians that have registered with the embassy in Israel. There's been 500 Canadians that have registered with uh, the uh, mission in uh, for the West Bank and Gaza, uh, and we've responded to around 800 calls. Um, we've increased our capacity also, so you know, in uh, Egypt, Jordan, and also Lebanon to help right. our missions in Israel and also uh, West Bank, and we've increased our support also in Ottawa. So we have 24 uh, 24-7 support and I just want to give you the number because it's important for Canadians to know if they still have loved ones there that haven't reached out to us. It's 1-613-996-8885 and we'll make sure that your producer has this right. information. That way it can be broadcast. Well, it's well, really important. Well, Minister, how can we reconcile this with claims we've seen from, from people like Melissa Lanceman, the Conservative MP, it says hundreds of people have called their offices saying they've been unable to get consular help uh, to, to get out of Israel. So, you know, we've reached out also to opposition parties. My parliamentary secretary, uh, Pam Damoff, has been also reaching out to everybody. This is a time not to politicize the issue. This is a time where we all come together to help. My first priority is, of course, uh, Canadians' protection, Canadians' safety. We've been on this since 4 o'clock Saturday morning, uh, our time, and, of course, we've been making sure that Canadians are provided with support. This is, you know, we've gone through this in Ukraine, in Sudan, uh, in, in different contexts. Uh, even uh, three weeks ago in Morocco, uh, when the earthquake happened, and we now have good processes in place. But we know that in these times, and definitely because of this important massive terrorist attack that has not happened in 50 years in Israel. People are anxious and we need to be there to help them. Well, what is your sense as to how close uh, this is to a wider conflict right now, especially with reports of hostilities on Israel's northern border and, and allegations that, that Iran may have played some sort of a role here? 
so that was the second uh, part of my efforts over the, the last few days and hours was really to reach out diplomatically to many partners in the region um, to try to find a way to de-escalate. Uh, the first um, call I made, of course, was with my Israeli counterpart, the foreign minister of Israel, Ali Cohen. We had a, a good and thorough conversation. After that, I reached out to the Palestinian Authority foreign minister with my Egyptian counterpart as well and Jordanian counterpart. I'm also in contact with uh, my uh, the foreign minister of Saudi Arabia and also I've been uh, having many conversations with the White House and the State Department in the U.S. So this has been really uh, the main uh, work that we've done. Uh, we need to make sure that we find a way while supporting Israel's right to defend uh, itself according to international law by this unprecedented uh, terrorist attack by Hamas. At the same time, we need to make sure that this conflict doesn't become even broader in the region. Uh, we know that there's already a war in Ukraine. Uh, we don't want a second front to open as well. So uh, it's a it's a it's a tough balance because we know things will get worse before they get better. But right. that's why diplomacy must be in action uh, in the coming you know over the last hours and also in the coming weeks and day, uh, okay. uh, days and weeks. I, I just want to pick up on a key phrase you said that you said Israel has the right to defend itself in accordance with international law. We're now seeing images yeah. and getting reports of military strikes into Gaza that appear to be killing ordinary Palestinians and, and hitting what could be considered civilian targets. So d does Canada consider Israel's response to this point to be in accordance with international law? Um, you know, I haven't seen the last report. And of course, I'm concerned with what's going on in Gaza. Uh, and that's why I just said things will get worse before they get better. And that's why we will always be there to provide humanitarian aid to civilians in Gaza. And uh, this is important because at the end of the day, Israeli lives and, and, and Palestinian lives are at stake. And so we'll do our work. We'll continue to also uh, make sure that our diplomats and our aid workers on the ground are there to help. You, you heard, I, I'm assuming, what Prime Minister Netanyahu had to say earlier. Um, he is vowing to punish Gaza. Uh, as the world ripples from these attacks. Do you have any concerns about the scale of the response that Israel is about to unleash? Well, at the same time, David, what happened over the weekend was the biggest terrorist attack in 50 years against Israel. This is unprecedented. This is a multi-front attack. And that is why uh, we've been clear in our stance in Canada, but also we are clear in, in engaging the world to find a solution to, uh, to in the end, the making sure that the violence stops. So uh, we've been involved in the region for many, many years. We've been a staunch friend and ally of Israel and a friend of the Palestinian people and will continue to act accordingly. You call these attacks uh, terror attacks. Canada designated Hamas as a terrorist organization uh, about 20 years ago. But, but there were protests across Canada this weekend and even today, um, in some ways celebrating the Hamas attacks uh, that you've decried. There have been calls for your government to condemn these protests here in Canada. Will you do that? Well, we know that according to Canadian law, the Hamas, uh, Hamas is a terrorist organization. So, of course, we don't support it. Um, and at the same time, we've always been clear 
um, when it comes to um, uh, our relationship with Israel. So the position of our government uh, uh, stands. At the same time, there ho- have been hostages. The hostages must be released. And like I said, civilian lives must be protected. So these will be difficult days ahead and right now and ahead for Israeli people, for Palestinian people, for Canadians, for the world. And you Canadians can know that the government and the Prime Minister and, and myself are absolutely engaged 24-7 on this issue. But, but, but Minister, what do you say to Canadians or other people in this country who might go to a protest uh, that, that critics say is purporting to celebrate what Hamas has done. I mean, should these protests be happening? There have been some calls by others to, to maybe find a way to prosecute this over supporting terrorism. I, I don't know if, if it goes that far or not, in your view. Uh, but what is your message to Canadians that might attend these protests, given what's happened in the last 48 hours or so? No, we don't, su- we don't support Hamas. We don't support also what they've done. And we don't support hate speech. That's what I can tell you. And meanwhile, of course, the Minister of Public Safety will do its work working with local authorities. But do you condemn the protest, Minister? I guess that's what I'm trying to understand. There have been calls directly for the Prime Minister to do it, uh, because well, he's not here. I, I'm going to ask I'm, you. I'm, but David, I'm answering your question. Of course we can't support the celebration of Hamas terrorist attack. Of course we don't. So we don't. Okay, Minister, what, what are you looking for next in, in this conflict uh, from, from, your, from your perch here? Um, well, like I mentioned a bit earlier, what I'm concerned is the fact that this could become a, a broader mm. regional conflict. And uh, uh, like I mentioned a bit earlier, we already have Ukraine. Having a second front would be extremely problematic. So we need to contain. Diplomacy must do its work. That's what I'll be doing. Um, I know that the Arab League is meeting next week. I really hope that there can be conversations amongst uh, partners and, and like-minded countries to try to find a way uh, to uh, uh, calm things down. Uh, well, there will be, of course, a reaction coming from Israel. Uh, and you've heard President Biden, you've heard also the Prime Minister. We want to make sure that also other countries don't use this situation uh, and particularly Israel's vulnerable position right now um, to uh, to further escalate. This can't be the case. And so that is why I'm uh, really focused extremely uh, on this very issue and engaging with uh, Middle Eastern partners. And I'll be having other conversations, particularly with Qatar and also Saudi Arabia in the coming days and hours. Foreign Affairs Minister Melanie Jolie, thank you for your time on a busy day. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu spoke just hours ago. Netanyahu said that Israel has, quote, only started a fierce offensive in the Gaza Strip and that Hamas fighters are still in Israeli territory. For more on Israel's response to this conflict, I'm joined by Ido Moed. He is Israel's ambassador-designate to Canada. Ambassador, thanks for coming in. Thank you for having me. I wish we were meeting under better circumstances, but we appreciate you taking the time today. I'd like to start with what your prime minister said today, that the airstrikes against Hamas targets inside Gaza are just the beginning. Palestinian authorities are saying that more than 600 people have already been killed by your counteroffensive, what, what will Israel's response look like moving forward? Allow me first to uh, 
share my sympathy and condolences for the family of the uh, fallen Israeli Canadian in Gaza uh, after this atrocious attack, this barbaric pogrom that was uh, perpetrated by uh, Hamas terrorists in, in, in the southern part of Israel on a Saturday morning on a quiet holiday. Um, I think that this kind of an attack, such an atrocity, is, is, as the minister also said just now, unprecedented in Israel. The number of victims, we are still counting. Uh, there are still people missing. People are being abducted. And uh, we really don't know exactly what has transpired. And images are just coming out of, of what has happened there. And it's horrible. It's absolutely horrendous. Um, so when Israel is preparing its reaction, to Hamas, actually what we have in mind are a few things. First and foremost is to take away, to eliminate the threat of terrorism emanating from Gaza Strip. We have nothing against the Gaza Strip. We have nothing against the people of the Gaza Strip. We have a lot against terrorists. And the terrorists that have taken place inside the Gaza Strip, be it Hamas, be it Palestinian Islamic Jihad, supported by Iran, uh, are actually those who take the Palestinians hostage and are fully accountable and, and responsible for what is happening right now. They've been locating their headquarters inside the most densely populated areas. Right. They have been hiding their weapons there. They've been shooting from there underneath hospitals, mosques, uh, and, and schools, and, and, and many of those uh, public uh, institutions, just so that if Israel retaliates, that the victims who will be there, there will be also civilians among them. Israel, as the Prime Minister also mentioned, will do its utmost to avoid victims among uh, innocent bystanders. But H we how have do you to do act. that, though, Ambassador, when, when you, are, you are shelling and shooting into the territory and you know the civilians and ordinary Palestinians are entwined with the people you're trying to get? How do you protect civilians in a situation like that? I think it's a very good question, but I think we have to look first at how do we protect civilians in Israel? Right. Look, and, and please do not take any of my questions as any way of downplaying the, the slaughter that happened over the weekend. I, th I think the latest number is north of 900, and it's, it's likely growing well beyond that. And, it, you know, it, it is a staggering thing, but we have this situation now as well. And I wonder how, how, how do you prepare an offensive into an area like this with all of the complexities you laid out without more women and more children dying in this? Israel is a democracy, mm -hmm. and its military apparatus, security apparatus, is being um, constructed in a way so that when we defend ourselves with military power, we'll avoid hurting or uh, attacking innocent bystanders. We know we are very familiar with that. We have practices for that. The international community is very well aware of that. So we do what we can to uh, warn in advance those targets that we are going to hit, as strange and as odd as this may sound. This is what we do. And beyond that, we use precision ammunition. We do a lot about that. But let's put things into perspective. The Gaza Strip, which, by the way, is not completely engulfed by Israel. There's also one side that faces Egypt. Uh, Egypt. Yeah. So I think that's something that your reporter may have missed in his report. Um, the Gaza Strip is a very small area, very densely populated, and we understand that the people there deserve a living, and actually we've been working very hard to improve their standard of living in the recent months. So allowing for more Palestinians to come to work in Israel, to ship goods into Israel, to get raw materials for industrial production inside the Gaza Strip, and actually change living conditions for Palestinians there. 
And once that is happening, and also Iran sees that there is approachment between Israel and Saudi Arabia, and actually the whole environment is changing, then all of a sudden, out of the blue, this attack comes and happens. And so what we have to look at really is not just at what is happening in the Gaza Strip, but a much broader picture of how do you fight and how do you combat terrorism, which is not only in the Middle East. I may remind you that Iran also threatens Israeli and Jewish targets worldwide, globally. So it's a very broad problem. Well, your, your Prime Minister uh, Netanyahu is talking, about, uh, suggesting maybe a ground offensive is in the works. I mean, is that what we're looking at here, that Israeli soldiers are going to go in en masse into the Gaza Strip to try to root out Hamas? And, and what does that mean for the population that, that is, is trapped there in some, some ways? Israel will do whatever is necessary to protect its citizens, its citizens and its territory. And so this is what we are going to do, and this is what the Prime Minister just said. Do you think there's a risk of going too far in, in the counterattack here and maybe changing world opinion on this, potentially? We look at the lives of Israelis in Israel. We want mm -hmm. to protect them. Throughout history, Israel has been um, reaching out for peace to all its neighbors, and we've managed quite a bit in that, in that direction. We have peace treaties with several countries, and the number is growing and growing. This is our goal, and this is what we'll be living and continuing to do in the Middle East. So when a terrorist organization all of a sudden is able to inflict so much uh, carnage among Israelis, we have to fight. So, so on that point, a, a lot of analysts has, have looked at this attack launched by Hamas and, and suggested it shows a level of sophistication, not normally, a sophistication and planning not normally associated with their tactics. What does that say to you about how this may have happened? It means that the Hamas and the Palestinian Islamic Jihad got help and they have support and they have weapons and they have money that they didn't have before. And that all comes from one source, and that source is Iran. And we know that in recent months, uh, Iranian officials have been uh, from the Al-Quds forces and the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps have been uh, meeting with Palestinian leaders, Palestinian terrorist organization leaders in Beirut, and uh, most probably orchestrating this kind of an attack. So this is, we have to look at the bigger picture, and you have to understand that Iran is involved, and part of what we are also doing is calling on the international community to uh, make sure that other parties in the region don't use and don't right. see the situation as a sign of weakness of Israel and join the fight. And we appreciate in that sense very much the work that uh, Minister Melanie Jolie is doing right now. You, you mentioned Iran a couple of times in this, and there was a report in the Wall Street Journal that Iran may have played a role actually in this very attack, but that has been rejected uh, by Israeli Defense Force uh, spokespeople from what I've seen and by uh, officials in the U.S. government. When, when you speak about Iran's role in this, are you talking about their traditional support for Hamas or specific response in this incident? I think that they've been supporting Hamas for a very long time mm -hmm. and uh, they've been doing that and it's less important if it's specifically for this incident or not. Without Iran, Hamas wouldn't have, would not have had the capabilities that they have to, they've had to, to execute such an attack, that's for sure. There has been activity at your northern border with Lebanon, uh, certainly not to the intensity and scale as we've seen in southern Israel. How worried are you right now about the possibility of this widening and broadening and the potential that this could become a multi-force conflict for Israel? We are prepared and we are very alert and we're looking all the time towards the north to see if there are any uh, developments in that sense. There have been some skirmishes for now. It's most, uh, mostly quiet and we hope that the border will remain like that. But again, 
we call on the international community also to help us in making sure that that part of the border is, remains quiet and that there is no escalation to the northern front. Do you want that diplomatic help in, in a diplomatic form? Do you want it in a military form? What sort of help are you, are you asking the international community for in, in securing this? I think that the international community knows very well when you try to uh, mitigate a conflict, what is necessary to do, and if that's really something that happens very naturally. Um, what we also have to understand that is that we're dealing here with proxy terrorist organization of a state. And so when we declare a war on the Islamic uh, Palestinian Islamic Jihad and the Hamas organization, we intend to eradicate them. But we also have to keep in mind that the international community has to keep in mind that Iran that has developed missiles which have ranged far beyond Israel and had already declared publicly several times that they want to eradicate the state of Israel, that Iran has also other intentions. So keeping Iran at bay at this moment is of utmost importance to the whole world. You talk about eradicating Hamas. We've seen protests here in this country um, that have been criticized. The Prime Minister has just issued a statement uh, condemning the protests that are purporting to uh, support Hamas in this. But there are people in Canada who side with the Palestinians in this and maybe even side with Hamas. And we're about to see the Israeli Defense Forces respond to, to the slaughter that happened this weekend. And that will lead to some very difficult images that the world will see. What's your message to people who blame Israel for what's happening here and will obviously have issue with the images that may come out of Gaza in the days ahead? For the first part of your question, I'm not sure what, I've, what I saw here. I think what I saw is celebrating um, atrocities, which is to me incomprehensible. I mean, people have a right to protest. There's a freedom of speech. We're a democracy. Canada is a democracy. But what I've seen is really propagating hate. And that's the problem. In, in that case, if that's the case, if I understood correctly, I'm new here. I can't really... No, understood. Well, I, I think... V different people go to these protests for different reasons. Mm -hmm. Some people want a better life for Palestinians and may be horrified by what Hamas has done. Others fully side with Hamas in this. It, it, it varies, right? So, uh, and so I think that is what is being condemned by the Prime Minister and others in their statements. I think that, I mean, support for Palestinians, support for Palestinians, it's important. We support Palestinians. That's what we do. That's what they did in Gaza Strip. That's what we do in the West Bank because we feel they are our neighbors and we have to help them. Uh, there is no doubt about that. But when we come, it comes to hate and when it comes to incitement and when it comes to a point where people uh, grow up in schools that uh, only incite them against the Jews, then you see such atrocities taking place uh, beyond the border. They cross the border and that's what they do. And that's just unimagin unimaginable. I think we all have to look back and understand that this has an origin. And where does it come from? Because this is a part of uh, the reality that we are facing. And you combine that with arms and technologies and tactics that terrorist organizations use, and that's very, very lethal, as we just witnessed. But, uh, to the second part of my question, and just as, a, as a, I guess a final point on this, is now that the counter, the Israeli Defense Forces are, are prepared to move in in some capacity in Gaza, people will seize on those images, look at those images, and there may be dead children, dead women, dead civilians a, as a result of this. I mean, what, what is your response uh, to people who will look at the inevitable casualties of a conflict like this and blame Israel for what's happened? Well, you won't see me dancing in the street and, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, giving uh, sweets like Palestinians do when they see Israelis being butchered on the streets, that's for sure. We have our hearts also with, with people in Gaza. We know they're hardworking people. They want to live in peace side by side with Israel, and that happened for many years. 
and that's very unfortunate, tragic, tragic circumstances that they've been taken hostage in another way by the Hamas organization, and they suffer. Uh, I know you said uh, you're new here. Uh, you have family still in Israel. Are, are they safe? Uh, how, how is your family doing in all of this? Uh, they're safe for now. I'm very happy to know that. But uh, everybody is very, very tense and concerned about what's to come. Uh, so everybody is trying to prepare, and you see also enormous pores of support internally within the country. Everybody is helping anybody everywhere. Uh, that's really amazing, but everybody is also very concerned. And when I'm talking about sympathy, I also want to note that uh, to mention the, the very strong solidarity that we feel from all walks of life here in Canada. In the short time that I've been here, uh, I've really come to know that we have so many friends in Canada, and that's really heartwarming. Uh, the statements uh, of Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, uh, the fact that uh, the flag, the Israeli flag, was shown on the Peace Tower and the uh, flag over Parliament was uh, lowered to half-staff and on Prime Minister's office, the statements that were made, I think that's very, very important. It shows a strong solidarity and, and, and friendship between the countries, and that's also the message that I'm conveying back to Israel to know that we have a friend in Canada. Ido Moed, Israel's ambassador-designate to Canada. It's nice to meet you. Thanks for coming in today. Thank you. Demonstrations are happening all over the world, including right here in Canada, in the wake of the Hamas attack on Israel and Israel strikes on Gaza. Israeli and Palestinian supporters are rallying in solidarity. I spoke earlier in the show to Foreign Affairs Minister Melanie Jolie. Here's some of what she had to say about the conflict. Of course, we condemn this multi-front terror attack by Hamas against Israeli people. Uh, we support Israel's right to defend itself according to international law and hostages must be released and, and, and of course, uh, civilians must be protected. So this is a terrible situation and my priority is to protect Canadians and also to work diplomatically to try to find a, a solution to de-escalate. Mona Abu Amara is Chief Representative for the Palestinian Delegation to Canada. She joins me now. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. You heard Minister Jolie there denouncing the demonstrations by Palestinians and Palestinian supporters in Canada. The Prime Minister has issued a statement condemning the, the protests we saw in the wake of the Hamas attacks. What's your reaction to these denunciations by the Canadian government? It's really unfortunate uh, because... Uh, these demonstrations are for Palestine. Um, they're not pro-Hamas demonstrations. They call for freedom and liberty and human rights of the Palestinians. And the, this issue has not uh, been facing the Palestinian community, unfortunately, in Canada. Uh, just in the recent few days, any of the, the demonstrations that used to um, happen were deemed as uh, hateful or anti-Semitic or even any demonstration which calls for the human rights and for freedom for those. Uh, what, what do you think these attacks by Hamas have done to the international view of the Palestinian cause? 
Listen, uh, the situation is devastating and uh, the loss of life is deplorable. Uh, The loss of one life uh, is one too many, especially when they're civilians. But uh, unfortunately, from what we're witnessing, the situation will only uh, get worse and the slippery slope will only get darker for one reason, is that we are not treating the root cause. The whole world now... um, jumping in uh, on the right of Israel to defend itself, but they don't look at uh, the Palestinian um, civilians who have been living under occupation for so long, decades long. And I'm sorry, but uh, we did not find any of the international community uh, standing to push Israel to implement these international laws that uh, were created to protect um, the weak, to protect those occupied. And now the rhetoric of Israel that has been putting, that it has been putting the people of Gaza under brutal siege, air and sea and land for more than a decade and a half, raining bombs and committing uh, heinous war crimes for years, uh, then all under the pretext of weakening Hamas. So now this rhetoric has been proven as a scam. Well, Benjamin Netanyahu, the prime minister, uh, compared this attack by Hamas this weekend to what ISIS does. What's your response to that? Yeah, he can do whatever he wants. Um, He said he asked the Gazans to flee a place that he knows he is controlling and uh, uh, subjugating them to all forms of torture for uh, more than a decade and a half, asking them to flee where uh, if uh, not a single person even who's sick uh, could get out. So that has nothing to do with the security of Israel. And we have been calling um, for the humane treatment, the treatment that any human being would deserve. Uh, I heard uh, your previous uh, guest saying that uh, this situation that's happening is uh, simply just because Israel cannot allow for stuff like this to happen to them. But would you be able to come and tell um, if Russia comes and says, uh, please uh, have uh, Ukraine be a demilitarized, uh, good occupied population, and then uh, that uh, would be the way to go. And that's the only way that we would give them the rights and uh, uh, their freedom. No double standard works in these situations. There is an occupation that ha- has been uh, killing and, and terrorizing the indigenous Palestinian population for decades and decades, and it needs to end. Uh- the, the no double standard. Do you condemn what Hamas did then over the I, I know you will condemn and, and have condemned the actions of the Israeli government, but the slaughter of so many people and the kidnapping of elderly women and young children. Do you condemn that? Listen, Dave, I, uh, I have been on CBC uh, for maybe three or four times in the past couple of days, mm-hmm. and I've seen, um, witnessed you having the Israeli ambassador multiple times coming, and not in one of those conversations? Have you asked him to condemn, if he condemns the uh, killings of entire families, children, women, elders? When you do so, please call me back and then we'll talk and answer that question. Well, I asked him about those issues earlier and how he can justify it and how he thinks the world will view it because we are about to enter what appears to be, if you listen to the words of Benjamin Netanyahu, a very aggressive response into the Gaza Strip. And we're going to see some pretty horrible images coming out of there. 
um, justified because the international community gave a green light to Israel to do them to two more than two million people who are living under siege for a decade and a half. It could be justifiable for the international community because it needs to stay uh, the steadfast ally of Israel. But instead of helping war and devastation, there needed to be a hard stand towards peace. If you've just mm. um, pushed Israel to implement international law and did not block the organs that would have is Israel pay for it, account, uh, have accountability towards all the war crimes committed and the atrocities. Uh, look, uh, uh, Mr. Abu Amara, I, I appreciate there is a long and, and difficult history here, and I am not trying to minimize any of that. Um, but but I, I guess I feel like our humanity has to go in a lot of directions, right? That, that you can advocate for a better life for Palestinian civilians and also be horrified by what we've seen from Hamas and also potentially be horrified from what we're about to see uh, in the response to what Hamas has done in, in the last 48 hours, right? I, I, you I mean, are allowing the response. You are supporting the response. Listen, um, if you don't want to talk about the double uh, standards, I want to ask you, where was the uh, the international community and when? where was the Western um, uh, media when the pogroms happened by settlers on Palestinians? You didn't have life coverage when homes were burnt, well, Kids were in them running around like crazy when, when they were shooting at cars and shooting at people. And if a Palestinian had to defend themselves, then the army would come in and do its job of terrorizing and imprisoning. You haven't mentioned that today a boy in Palestine was burnt almost to death and saved by a brave person who jumped in and took him out of the captivity. We are seeing right now in all of the West Bank, these uh, terror extensions settlers running a rampage. And what did the international community do? Support giving them thousands of M16s while they know that they will use them on stolen land on terrorized people. So yes, you can have humanity on both sides. And I started by um, saying how every life counts and mostly civilian, but justice needs to prevail and justice cannot be in, um, for some and uh, selective. In the wake of this, uh, Europe has announced that it's reassessing its aid, and we're seeing allies, as you've said, aligning with Israel uh, in, in terms of being justified in its response. Are, are you, how worried are you that what has happened is going to give Israel license to retaliate in full force here? Yeah, so honestly, for, uh, for years, we have been pleading with the free world to take action, to do something to not create a vacuum where we steer um, to this madness. We have been asking for the, the rights that you would ask for any human being, but instead the world would always say empty words, empty condemnations. But when it push comes to shove, even as a representative um, for Palestine in Canada, I sp did my part on that with the Canadian government. And to give you just one small example, all of my work is to see Canada's policy implemented because there's a lot of difference between the words said and what is happening on the ground and policy that 
thinks that settlements are illegal and uh, uh, they constitute um, a war crime should not be bringing in and making these uh, settlements more viable by trading and having their products be sold in Canada. You can't have a policy that at the end of the day, the, act, the words are beautiful, but the action always stands with the occupier and the oppressor. But, but I guess just, how do I phrase this? Uh, look, this is a very difficult topic to talk about, right? I'm going to be very upfront about this, and, and I'm anxious in, in even doing this interview because I don't want to appear disrespectful or insensitive to anybody uh, hurt by this. But I've watched the images of kids being taken away. We've seen the pictures of, you know, a music festival being attacked and hundreds killed. You know, it, it's... Um, this is, and for a lot of people, this is their introduction to this particular conflict in, in some ways, right? Who aren't as immersed in it That's as you problem. are. Right? But, but That's the problem, the introduction. You haven't been introducing this to people. It's not pink and dandy if it's all good in Israel. We have been, have you, have you seen the images that happened in Gaza? Yep. In the, I, These, I, no, you haven't seen the exact, I have three of my... Um, Colleagues, diplomats, one ambassador from Poland, another ambassador in uh, uh, in the UK, and a colleague diplomat in Saudi Arabia. Every single one of them have lost a whole line of the family. With kids, with women, with everything. No, you haven't seen the, the grizzly. It's, it's not about a competition between what ugly images you can show. It's how we get past this to bring in peace and justice. I want to just refer you to um, an article that, that was written today by an Israeli um, Jewish writer, Gedeon Levy, uh, in, in Haaretz. And he said, we arrest, kill, mistreat, rob, protest settlers. Uh, we protect settlers committing massacres. We shoot innocent people, gag out their eyes and smash their faces, drop them, confiscate their land, plunder them, kidnap right. them from their beds and carry out ethnic cleansing. We also continue the unreasonable seizure on Gaza and everything. But this is exactly fine. what we've seen this weekend as well, right? I mean, I, I, we, we played a tape of a Canadian mother whose son was at a festival and she listened as he died uh, on the phone. Right. So I, so, I, I mean, so uh, it, 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 this, this is the thing with, with Hamas and what what has happened as a result of what happened on Saturday. Um, you, you, I have heard you condemn what Israel has done. And I will ask the Israeli ambassador when he comes back on, I promise you, uh, how he feels about what may happen or unfold in Gaza. Not how he feels. But not well, how sure, he feels. Sure. You didn't ask me how I feel. You did not ask me. None of you asked me how I felt about it. I told you I right. deplore every loss of life. You don't want that answer. You only want the victim to condemn themselves because that's the rhetoric that is going on. But you don't want, on the other hand, you're at least, you're doing something for um, the victims on one side. What are you doing for peace and for the victims on the other? Mona Abu Amara, I, I want to thank you for your time. I, I, I really do. I, that's Mona Abu Amara. She is the chief representative for the Palestinian delegation uh, to Canada. Thank you so much for joining me today.
Okay, uh, we're going to dig into the state of the conflict and the broader implications for the region. Thomas Junot is an associate professor at the University of Ottawa, specializing in the Middle East. He previously served as an analyst with the Canadian Department of Defense. And uh, we are also joined by Jonathan Panikoff. He's the director at the Scowcroft Middle East Security Initiative at the Atlantic Council. He previously served as a senior U.S. intelligence officer. Uh, Thomas, uh, let's start with you with this attack by Hamas. Uh, how unprecedented is it, both in scale and in tactic. Uh, it is absolutely unprecedented, and I think that's been amply clear in the last uh, 60 hours or so. There is nothing that has happened uh, in, in, in recent years or decades that even compares to this, and, and we could break that down uh, in, in many component parts. But the, the bottom line here is that given the unprecedented aspect of the terrorist attack, given what will be an unprecedented response by Israel, as you've discussed on the show uh, for the last while, uh, things will change. Uh, things will not be the same once the dust settles. Uh, there will be a before October 2023 and an after October 2023. I have no idea exactly what that will look like, but it, it will be very different. Jonathan, uh, what, what's your assessment of, of this incident, this, this, this attack, and, and the moment we're in a, right now as a result? Well, look, I completely agree with Tomah. I think there's going to be a before and after. This date is going to be as infamous to uh, Israelis as I think the Yom Kippur War has been, as I think 1948 was the founding of Israel. And, and you know, for, as an American, for Pearl Harbor or 9-11, I, I think this is going to be a real sea change um, across Israel. Um, it's going to take some time. That's just not the focus now. I don't think it should be the focus. There's going to be a lot of questions asked about the intelligence failure, the security failure, which obviously both are true in this case. Um, but I think that's going to have to come after whatever the conflict is to come in the coming days and my guess is weeks. Um, I think we're probably actually just at the beginning of this right now, uh, not at the end. So we're not quite ready to get there, uh, but we will be soon enough. Well, well, Jonathan, just to, to stick with you, I mean, Israel has now formally declared war uh, against Hamas. It's hitting Gaza with airstrikes, likely a, a, as we are speaking. But the prime minister is warning that this is just the beginning. And I'm not sure if you heard Prime Minister Netanyahu earlier today today, um, it was quite stark, uh, the rhetoric. So, so what do you think this response could look like? Look, I mean, at the moment, they look like they're preparing for a ground invasion. There's simply no other way to read this. Um, and I think a ground invasion is going to have to necessarily be incredibly slow and incredibly deliberate. Um, it's just the nature of the fact of not having any assets in Gaza anymore. It's not like there are Israelis and troops that have been stationed there um, since 2005 when they disengaged. And so it has to be very, very methodical. That's a difficult thing to do. Um, and it's right now, I think, possible if it stays as simply an Israel-Hamas fight. I think the challenges and what is really keeping folks in Israel up at night even more is what if Hezbollah actually decides to get involved? What if West Bank Palestinian militants decide to get involved? What, what if Iranian-backed Shia militants in Syria decide to get involved? In other words, a multi-front war, I think, is what's really causing even greater consternation, and, and we're going to have to see where this goes in the coming days. Uh, Tamal, where, where do you see this going next? And also the Israeli Defense Force are exchanging fire with Hezbollah on the northern, bo northern border with, with, with uh, Lebanon. What should we be looking for here? 
in the short term, uh, first of all, as Jonathan said, in the short term, the violence in the Gaza Strip will be absolutely unprecedented. This will be urban warfare, guerrilla warfare of the most violent kind. We've seen rounds of fighting between Israel and Hamas in recent years. It will be much worse than that. Beyond the Gaza Strip, uh, the Hezbollah Front, the northern front with Lebanon, um, there have been exchanges of rockets, a few skirmishes along the northern border. Not clear if it will escalate. Um if it does, it's an absolute game changer because then it becomes a regional war. There are good arguments to, to, to see it escalating or not escalating, and it's very difficult to see where it's going to go. On the one hand, uh, Hezbollah uh, faces a difficult situation inside Lebanon. It's one of the worst economic collapses in history, literally in Lebanon right now. Uh, Hezbollah has good reasons maybe to want to avoid a war that would fragilize, that would destabilize, that could lead to the absolute collapse of Lebanon, which is not something uh, Hezbollah wants. On the other hand, uh, tension has been very high for a number of reasons between Israel and Hezbollah. Things could blow up even if they don't want to. So it is very volatile on, on, so, on that side, too. So, Tamad, just to stick with you on this, there's been a lot of mention of Iran. There were reports suggesting Iran was involved in the planning of this attack, but both the U.S. and Israel are adamant they don't have the intelligence at this point to support the allegation, though the U.S. has said Iran is complicit in this. What role do you see Iran playing in this and its relationship with Hamas and the potential of this spiraling into a broader issue that involves them? So Iran is absolutely complicit in this, and there, there's no doubt to have at that, lev at that level. There are things we know and there are things we don't know. What we know, and there's no debate at this level, is that Iran provides important uh, material support to Hamas, military support, weapons, weapons parts, uh, technological advice on how to assemble these pieces, intelligence uh, on, on what to target, uh, financial support. We know that, and, and that support has really risen in recent years. Iran has increased its presence in the Palestinian territories. That we know. Uh, so that makes Iran complicit. In the absence of that support, Hamas is not able to do what we just saw. On the other hand, where mm. there is debate is what was Iran's role in the decision-making process that led to this? Did it order it, uh, or was it Hamas's decision and Iran supported and and acted as a as a as a you know as a consultant, if you will? And there's a debate at that level, and we don't know. Okay, so, so Jonathan, you know, on this, you know, with, with Iran potentially uh, be, being complicit, as the United States has said, the U.S. is scrambling, as is Canada and other allies, to try and stop this from spiraling out of control in the region. How tenuous is this current situation? I think it's extraordinarily so. Look, I, I think to Tamaz's point, um, we don't quite know, but I'm also not sure from the Israeli perspective it matters, frankly, all that much. All right, I think it would matter a lot if there was a real question about whether or not, let's say, Iran's special forces, the Quds Force, had participants that took place um, in the attack. That, I think, would really change the situation on the ground. But one way or the other, Israel's going to hold, hold Iran at least partially responsible, and they are because of the material support. The, the question becomes how to prevent this from spiraling. I think it's going to be pretty difficult in the near term. On, on both sides, first, Israel, there's not going to be the political will for the Israelis to just back down. Uh, right. The Netanyahu's been very, very forward-leaning that he's not going to do that. And then, uh, to be fair, on the Hamas side, you've got Qatar desperately trying to create some sort of ceasefire or at least have some hostages released. But the reality is you also had Hamas leadership say, look, we're going to do this on the battlefield. They're, they're not ready for a ceasefire on either side right now. I don't think it's going to matter at least right. immediately how hard the international community tries. Okay, Tama, I know you have to leave us in 30 seconds. So I'm going to ask you if you want to give us a quick uh, what we should look for next before we say goodbye to you. 
Uh, what we should look for next is, uh, first of all, the violence in the Gaza Strip. After that, escalation or not in Lebanon. Beyond that will be escalation to other fronts. Uh, if the, if Hezbollah jumps in, uh, will Iran-backed uh, militias in Iraq and Syria jump in? Will the Houthis in Yemen jump in? And that's one aspect that I'm especially interested in, given that Iran's support for the Houthis has really increased. And now the Houthis apparently have missiles that might be able to reach or at least come close to Israel. That scenario of a multi-front war is uh, a, a catastrophe for Israel and for the region as a whole. And if that happens, it becomes extremely difficult for both Iran and the U.S. not to themselves directly jump in. Okay, Tomah Juno, uh, Associate Professor, University of Ottawa. I know you have to go. You've got another uh, interview to do, so thank you so much. Uh, uh, Jonathan, if I can just continue this, this with you and just ask you that same question. I mean, what are you watching for next, uh, you know, as, as this potentially escalates while the, the international community tries to contain it? Oh, are you there, Jonathan? I am sorry. I think there's a bit of a technical glitch. Please sorry. go ahead. I, I just wanted to know uh, what. Like, obviously, this will escalate on the ground in Gaza as Israel mounts its response. The international community is trying to stop it from escalating beyond what is happening on the ground. What are you watching for next in, the, in these pivotal next few hours? Yeah, look, I'm, I'm similar to Toma. I think in the long term, there's real concern about Yemen. I'm actually not just concerned about it from Yemen, the Houthis striking Israel. I'm actually more concerned about Houthis deciding that this is an opportune time to strike Saudi Arabia, to strike the Emirates, to try and increase their presence and their dominance, frankly, in Yemen, which is what they want, is even greater control and ultimately full control of the country. I think in the short term, I'm, I'm watching for three things. One is whether or not Hezbollah gets closer to jumping in. You mentioned before, rightly so, that there has been a little bit of back and forth already today. Uh, number two, I think we need to watch um, when Israel actually starts a meaningful ground invasion, because I think the tide will turn and, and turn quickly. Mm. Um, and number three is, how long does the international community say that they're willing to allow Israel's response to Hamas to go on? We know it'll start and it'll be okay, but history tells us, both in 2014, even in 2000, 2006, that it's going to be a real challenge for it to go for, say, weeks or months as you see death and destruction just increase. Jonathan Panikoff, director of the Scowcroft Middle East Security Initiative at the Atlantic Council. I want to thank you for your time today. Thanks so much. That's it for today. If you like this episode, please follow the pod and catch our next live show on CBC News Network. We're on weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. I'm David Cochran. Thanks for listening. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.